Let to say, what's the play? I'm a starter with them Bruce Wayne, Hoop Game, the Sakata. Ain't even seen a rapper with a wit like mine. Y'all ain't never seen a rapper with a voice so fine. Get real wine, promise I'm gonna waste your time. Shawty, if you let me holler, I'm gonna make you mine. Give you my two cents when I wrote this line. Yeah, I know you got a body, but I need your mind. Got a penny for your thoughts, shoot, I pay you a dime. Pick a car, cause you one of a kind. Yeah, for real. Hey everybody, uh, my name is Stephen Mackey, uh, I currently work at Purse and yours, uh, I studied information systems and got my bachelor's of science in business administration at Old Dominion University. Uh, I've been in the crypto game uh, since about 2012 and I've worked in various nooks and crannies in the space in relation to mining, uh, writing for different publications, uh, managing different projects, and being a developer on a bunch of different stuff in the space in relation to uh, altcoins um, and trading and things of that nature. Um, with me also as well for the block channel is Dimitric. Um, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, Dimitric? I got it. Hello, everybody. You know me as host number two. E from the Bitcoin podcast will also be on Block Channel. And you heard it from Mackie. We've been talking about all kinds of goodies. A uh, little bit about me. Uh, you know, As you may know, I'm the host, also the host of the Bitcoin podcast. Uh, I've been in the crypto since about 2013. Proud to say I bought my first Bitcoin at a amazing price of $978. It was the best. Because then immediately after that, it crashed down to like 180, somewhere in there. Um, I We've also interviewed Andreas Antepanalis, Andreas Ant, Ant, Ing, I murdered that, Eric Voorhees, Gavin, <laughs> lots of personalities you may know over at the Bitcoin Podcast. And I'm just really enthusiastic about crypto. I think it's the best thing ever. I think it's going to change the world. And so now we are on the block channel. Yeah, man, and see what what we're looking to do here on the block channel, and you know if you if you've heard the Bitcoin podcast before, you kind of know what the the format is. You bring on a really cool guest. We have some cool discussions about either projects that they're working on, and you know we sort of dabble from there. When you know we we try and touch on some like personal projects and things like that, and other initiatives as we can, and then you know we kind of salute out of there. But but what I wanted to do for block channel. Um, you know, other than the fact that I don't want it to be specifically Bitcoin centric. So block channel, I want to be more focused on like educational discussions. Um, but still, there's fun banter around like Bitcoin, Ethereum uh, and now Zcash, which just recently came out like the yesterday. So that works out perfectly. Um, you know, blockchain based everything. If it's interesting to us and I think it's an interesting project or Dimitri thinks that the person is just irresistible they got to be on the show they seem like they got their shit together like they, they like they want to talk about crypto they want to they want to educate others they want to you know um share what they have in their mind and, and really help us all embrace this technology and see what it can do then we, we want them here on the show um you know there's no there's no denying it bitcoin is the father of the crypto game you know uh words it's satoshi um but our world <laughs> is getting a whole lot bigger <laughs> and it's getting a whole lot bigger a whole lot faster so, you know, with that being said, um, you know, I wanted to I wanted to not get someone specifically from the Bitcoin space for the first episode. Um, so for you, you all tuning in, um, hoping we're going to be.
be interviewing like Andreas Antonopoulos or Gavin Andreessen, um, you will be pleasantly surprised that it is not. We interviewed Joseph Lubin from Consensus, who is the head honcho there, um, taking care of all their crypto-related projects and overseeing um, all of their companies in the umbrella that is, you know, Consensus. Um, so I, I wanted him on because, you know, I'm friends with Matt Liston, who uh, handles strategy at Gnosis, and, uh, you know, I've, I'm very familiar with the Augur project, and I've met Joey, um, who's heading up that project there, and I'm friends with Jeremy Gardner, who was originally from Augur, and this I'm um, just very, very close to a lot of these Ethereum-related projects, and I, I've been keeping a close eye on them, and I'm, I'm very excited about them. So it made sense to bring on Joe to the show, um, and, you know, he was, he was very kind to, you know, quickly come back to us, and he was like, sure, you know, I'll be on your first episode, and, you know, we really appreciate that. Um, so shout out to Joe for that. Um, and Dimitri, do you want to say anything before we um, we go into the, uh, the our very first clip, first episode of uh, Block Channel? Man, I just hope that everyone listening right now is ready for this awesomeness uh, because Lubin dropped some knowledge bombs and the things that he discussed got me really, really amped about the future of the world. Mm-hmm. He named so many companies that just like under that are under consensus and all these projects that he has his hands on. And it's pretty... It's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. So um, you know, you're you're in for a treat, and you know, this this might not always be the format of the show, like going forward, like us introducing the interview, and like you know, when going forward, it could just be boom intro, and then we shoot right into the actual core of the show. Uh, we'll we'll be playing around with it, seeing seeing what we feel organically, and you know, uh, see what format works best. So um, this is the first episode. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it, uh, and hope you enjoy the great music. Uh, wait, that's mm. another key point we want to talk about. Um, for the first episode, you can't forget this here. Um, our music is going to be by Faraday. Um, my good friend, Chris Russ, um, from my childhood, from back in Hampton, Virginia. We went to high school together. Um, he was graduated from Stanford. Now he's out working at Credit Suisse. Um, you know, he's got a big head, got big brain. Uh, I used to pick on him. We were in honors history together. I was a sophomore in high school. He was a freshman, and I picked on him in class because he was a freshman in a 10th grade class. And looking back, you know, he's a really smart guy. So <laughs> <laughs> You picked on him because he was smart? Yeah, you know, because he, he, he made it out here, and now he's, like, you know, producing music. So I was like, damn, like, you know, shout out to him. So I'm going to put his music on my show. Like, I gotta, you got to put your friends on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he loves crypto. He's he's really invested into Ethereum and Bitcoin. And he's been trading with me and my friends. And, like, we have, like, a little group of, like, core traders. Like, we have a group chat and stuff. And, like, so, you know, shout out to shout out to Russ. Uh, Faraday's music's great. Uh, you know, for the first few shows, I would believe the intro and outro music will be by him. So we'll include links to his, uh, his music, to his SoundCloud, um, perhaps to his Bandcamp as well. Um, in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Uh, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Boom. Woo! All right. Um, welcome to the Block Channel. Uh, this is episode one. Uh, and we're going to be speaking today with uh, Joseph Lubin, 
um, from the Ethereum world. Uh, I say Ethereum world because he comes from a multitude of different projects and he's been behind and he's been the face of a lot of stuff that has come out of um, the Ethereum camp uh, since its inception. Um, so without spoiling anything and everything, uh, had the man here himself. Uh, we're going to be talking with him today about his projects, his interests, uh, perhaps the background behind his projects and try and get a feel for who's Joseph Lubin, um, you know, why he's interested in the projects that he's working on and, uh, you know, where he sees Ethereum and everything going in the future. So Joseph, by all means, if you want to just go ahead and give us an introduction, take all the time you need. Cool. Uh, thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me on episode one. Sounds mm -hmm. like it's going to be an awesome series. Um, so personal background, uh, mostly technology, uh, but also some finance, did uh, uh, a couple of decades of machine vision, AI, robotics, uh, more conventional software engineering, uh, automated music composition. Uh, towards the end of that, I ended up on the technology side of the private wealth management group at Goldman Sachs for a little while. Um, mm. At that point, I transitioned to the finance industry and uh, uh, ran a set of hedge funds with a partner and did various kinds of trading, algorithmic and otherwise. Um, because of my background, I guess, it was sort of impossible for me to miss Bitcoin and uh, became aware of it early and um, didn't feel like the space was mature enough to start businesses. Uh, there were lots of idealists building businesses and uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, some of those, or pretty much all of those, were immature efforts, uh, and uh, they got swept away, um, replaced by more mature, um, uh, better architected companies and systems. Um, so it wasn't uh, really until I read Vitalik's white paper describing the Ethereum project that I wanted to get heavily involved in the space. and. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, that was uh, right at the start of 2014, January 2014. Um, I, uh, uh, Anthony Diorio, who's based in Toronto, um, Vitalik was based in Toronto pretty much at that point, and uh, I grew up in Toronto, so I was very uh, at that point. Uh, uh, met them on January 1st, and we discussed Ethereum, and uh, I was pretty much hooked at that point, so um, kept living where I was living for a while, but uh, basically moved back to New York City. Um, I was asked to be one of uh, seven people who formed uh, the Ethereum project around Vitalik. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it was announced late January uh, 2014, um, and the, uh, the crypto world was pretty excited. Basically, in, in around mid-2012, lots of different groups in the ecosystem we're realizing that uh, use cases other than the the core bitcoin use case of transmission and storage of value uh, could uh, properly and probably should be deployed on decentralized architectures uh, similar to bitcoin or on bitcoin itself and various different projects uh, approaches were tried uh, colored coins uh, meta coins etc uh, and uh, it, 
Uh, so Vitalik was actually, he uh, left college and was working on a bunch of those projects, wrote a couple of white papers on those projects and realized that all these very smart people were not making um, the kind of progress that uh, everybody wanted to see uh, just because they were taking an incorrect approach to the problem. Um, mm -hmm. People were trying to build features into these systems one at a time, either at the protocol level or at the client level. Uh, and you really had to be a specialist programmer to get that done. So Vitalik's key insight was uh, instead of um, doing things one at a time, um, essentially uh, build a, a general purpose virtual machine, uh, install it at every node of a peer-to-peer uh, -peer blockchain based system and enable uh, millions of software developers around the world to identify problems that they want to solve and uh, and solve those problems themselves. And so that's how Ethereum was born. Um, about, uh, about a year into the Ethereum project, I started ramping down my activity uh, on the Ethereum Foundation ramped up consensus. Uh, essentially to build decentralized applications for the public Ethereum blockchain and also for private permissioned versions of the Ethereum blockchain. But we didn't know that latter part at the time. We weren't really thinking much about private permissioned uh, implementations. Mm -hmm. uh, and so consensus uh, over the last nearly two years has grown to be about 110 people around the world and we do three things. Uh, we continue on the mission uh, of building products or decentralized applications for public and, and private permission blockchain. We built uh, quite a number of uh, uh, infrastructural elements. Uh, so we're responsible for the Haskell implementation of Ethereum, um, significantly responsible for the Java implementation. That's Roman Mandalay's team. Uh, we uh, truffle handful of developer tools at uh, Tim Coulter uh, has built uh, built a backend high transaction throughput infrastructure called Infura. We built MetaMask, which enables uh, decentralized applications to run in browsers. And mm -hmm. some exciting news coming uh, from that project pretty soon. Mm -hmm. uh, in about 18 months ago, um, we started getting busy. Uh, we've been talking to enterprise and government and NGOs uh, since nearly the start of the Ethereum project, but it really started to, to pick up speed about 18 months ago. And so we formed a group called Consensus Enterprise and it uh, delivers uh, customized uh, decentralized application solutions. Uh, usually those are done on private permissioned um, mm -hmm. Ethereum blockchains. and. Uh, our, our uh, um, child company, BlockApps, um, uh, has built an architecture that's uh, really ideal for that. So um, uh, very scalable with configurable privacy. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that was, um, hold on, I'm getting a little bit of feedback here. Do you hear anything on your end, Ferg? Mm-hmm. It's there. Okay, cool. All right. Um, it's gone do you hear now. It now? No, okay, it's gone. Cool, cool. We're good. Okay, great. All right, we'll just edit that part out. But yeah, no, no, no that's great. Um, so as far as um, as far as all of your current projects that you're currently working on, like uh, whether it's through consensus um, or any of these other like sort of like um, umbrella entities um, that you all are like building out, um, it seems like you guys are everywhere. 
And that was like kind of like one of the first things that I noticed um, when I was getting into the Ethereum space and I was sort of looking at, uh, okay, so who are the major, who are the major players in the space? Like who's, who, who are the movers and shakers? And, you know, one of the first groups that I noticed was consensus uh, and like what you all were doing. And it seemed like you guys were going for the, okay, we really want to make this thing work. Let's just get a bunch of smart people working on everything. <laughs> and eventually you were going to, we're going to make this thing work and we're going to make it work well. Is that sort of, was that sort of the mindset where you were just like, if we get, if we, if we solve all these like major problems right now with like, you know, X amount of like developers and different applications, like we have a better chance at like making something here. Is that the, is that the thought process behind this or? Um, not exactly, but effectively that's what happened. Uh, we really didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the initial mission for consensus was to promote uh, adoption of Ethereum, um, and we took that mission on about a year before Ethereum version 1.0 was released. So mm -hmm. there was no ecosystem, there was no platform even really. We, it was mm -hmm. just an experimental platform. And so if we were uh, a company um, trying to build a product, uh, a web product or on the internet for delivery on the internet, um, we would already have an ecosystem. We, we would already have a context. Uh, there'd be tons of libraries, tools, packages uh, that mm -hmm. we could make use of, uh, and we could focus on the core elements of the service that we're trying to build. But there was really nothing um, other than uh, a, a few parallel implementations of the client. Uh, so when we started thinking about building stuff like uh, balance three, triple entry, general ledger system, um, and things like boardroom and Wayfund um, mm -hmm. uh, and token factory, uh, we essentially realized that uh, there were all these components that we had to build in order to make these things products. So we needed to build identity and reputation and registry systems, token issuance and management, decentralized token exchange, et cetera. Uh, so you could think of what we did as um, a small number of projects that just got factored into a bunch more projects so that the functionalities that were factored out could be made available uh, to various other projects. So for instance, we've got a registries system called Regis and it has a voting system. We have a boardroom or a governance tool called boardroom and it has a voting system. And uh, we're in the process of factoring out uh, voting systems from those two projects and, and turning um, those into essentially mm -hmm. a generalized standalone voting system package that we, uh, all of our different products can make use of and uh, any third party around the world could make use of. So we, uh, we did have to build a bunch so, of the components. So I see it as, so then, so then with that explanation there, <clears throat> I see that as like an attack from like, um, uh, like the top down from like a sense of like enterprise where it's like you give them something that's just like so notably better, something that's just not just novel, but actually like solves like an extended purpose or a problem that that particular industry has been having for a hard time. And say, so here's that software, here's that technology, here's a way to do it better, a way to do it like more securely and more transparently, either use it or we'll find enough, you know, companies who are, you know, can see the value in this and they will, and then eventually it'll become a standard. Like, you know, like, uh, like I, I have personally, I've looked into like your balance. Is it, is it, do you, do you just call it balance or is it balance three? 
Yeah, I call it balance three. Okay, balance three. Okay. So like like your accounting system, right? Like I think I think that was like an excellent idea, right? Like triple entry accounting, like that's that's great. Um, uh, like that that's an excellent use case right there. Like what are some other um, what are some other um, without like going like too far into detail? What are what are some other like ideas that you guys have for um, like like the enterprise um, that's like 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 similar to that suit? Sure. So let, let me address what you said at, at the start of the question. Uh, mm -hmm. You essentially uh, called what we were doing something of a top-down attack to uh, uh, wake enterprise up to better ways of doing things. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it was definitely the opposite. It was a bottom-up uh, set of research projects mm -hmm. that, that we um, noodled on, turned into little proofs of concept, and we started getting, or, and we're still getting more mature in our process, mm -hmm. but uh, essentially finding problem solution fit for these things, turning them into uh, a, a first bare bones MVP, and um, and then putting these things into, on, on the product side, putting these things into a process um, whereby they iterate and are, are made more mature. We call it our spoke readiness index process uh, based on Steve Blank's work. Um, mm -hmm. So once we did a bunch of that and, and learned a lot about what it is to build a decentralized application, mm -hmm. uh, the timing was right for us to share that expertise with um, enterprise, basically uh, in the uh, consensus enterprise consulting group. And mm -hmm. so uh, we have been fortunate enough to work with a bunch of different companies uh, in the insurance industry, uh, banking, financial services, energy industry, healthcare, music, um, supply chain management. Supply chain management is a, a particularly powerful use case. Supply chains are everywhere. Uh, provenance is a powerful concept. Uh, uh, Tyler Smith, the BHP Bulletin, uh, is a geophysical engineer there uh, in their oil and gas uh, um, services or oil and gas uh, exploration group uh, is uh, a massive and early uh, Ethereum fan. Uh, he was formerly a little bit famous for a project called Free My Bunk, um, but now I think he just doesn't have time to pursue that because uh, he and we are building uh, supply chain management for uh, oil exploration. So when uh, oil uh, wells are drilled, perhaps in deep water, they can be incredibly expensive and they they have some pretty decent processes for tracking um, the water and the oil and, and the stone uh, that uh, uh, that comes up, but not rigorous practices, uh, at least not uh, to the extent that they're happy with. And so uh, they have a bunch of different stakeholders uh, in that space, um, basically service providers. And w whenever you have a bunch of different stakeholders with different agendas, uh, it's valuable to go to blockchain as a shared source of truth. It's a shared source of truth uh, because everybody has access, whether it's a public blockchain uh, or a private permissioned version of Ethereum, um, everybody has access to the data. Everybody has access to the business logic and the form of smart contracts that operate on the data. So everybody can trust that the system um, is telling the truth. And so 
BHP uh, interacts with lots of different companies in this process. It's a very high value process. Uh, the rock they come up with is more valuable than diamond. Uh, if you think about how much is invested in, in acquiring it. And uh, um, we are um, in the first phase of building a supply chain management system for, um, for the produce of those efforts. Um, it involves uh, BHP and ownership and um, transportation and uh, analytical companies that, uh, uh, that do uh, various different measurements. And basically everything uh, in the system is maintained in one place. Um, so in custody of everything is tracked rigorously. So it's one example uh, of, mm -hmm. uh, of a pattern that different companies are interested in. Um, and I could certainly give other examples, but uh, I'll, I'll let you drive. So, <laughs> okay. I hear, I, you know, I hear it almost on a daily basis now, and I've been tapped into Bitcoin long enough to get quasi angry when I hear some new industry is using blockchain or the blockchain or blockchains or block strings because some articles get it yeah, way... Yeah, your blockchain? Yeah. I'll go to the store, grab a blockchain off the shelf, and I'm using it now. Invest <laughs> in my company. Yeah, we, we actually got an order a little while ago for a blue blockchain. Oh, wow. A blue one. Wow, that's very rare. <laughs> yeah, they, they do come in different colors now. Oh, wow. <laughs> See, I listen to a lot of Houston rap, so sometimes I like the candy-coated blockchains. I don't know if you're familiar. Um, but... No one, it seems like a lot of industries are grabbing a hold of this thing that they don't even remotely understand what it is or how it works. So when you're, you're saying about it, like injecting industries like supply chain, um, I don't want to even begin to think of how the financial industries are using private chains, but how does this technology work? Like if you could, if I'm a student in Professor Lubin's class and I'm, and I'm just totally confused, where's a good way to start thinking about how a private decentralized blockchain can help the supply chain industry. Sure. So I think it's unfair to say that uh, these companies don't really know uh, what blockchain is or, or why it's valuable. I, I think it was more fair to say that 18 months ago, but uh, there's a lot of sophistication and, and little pods of blockchain enthusiasts in, in many, many companies around the world. Um, so, it, and uh, you know, this technology, in my opinion, and in many people's opinions, uh, will have profound effects on virtually every level of every economic, social, and political system. So, I think it's a good thing if uh, um, if we get it out there on the public blockchain, but but also make use of the technology in uh, private permission context, because in some cases that's where it belongs and should stay there and not migrate to public blockchain. Uh, but also, uh, for many use cases, it can serve as a stepping stone for bankers, for instance, um, mm -hmm. get them used to it. And uh, uh, essentially, within a few years, uh, when something like Ethereum is ready in terms of scalability and configurable privacy, then those systems can migrate to pub public blockchain. So mm -hmm. essentially, you know, uh, I indicated before that it's a shared source of truth. Um, that's a powerful concept. I've been trying to to uh, coin that term, um, uh, I like the term veridical computing or of or pertaining to the truth. Um, I like that. Sorry. And, uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, so, 
essentially uh, blockchain, private permission blockchain in a corporate context uh, doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Uh, but it makes perfect sense to me if you uh, envision uh, a company as a set of cooperating and competing groups. Uh, and these groups are... Um, these groups are all essentially feeding from the same budget. So um, one can, in that context, one can envision business processes embodied in smart contracts on the blockchain that everybody can trust. If you look at, let's say, a company like JP Morgan, which has purchased who knows how many banks, and they have all these banking systems uh, that were formerly uh, in different companies, they, they have them all running in parallel and they try to uh, keep them in sync, uh, reconcile different transactions. Um, these kinds of uh, internal departments uh, can uh, build business processes uh, that they can trust. So mm -hmm. I, my vision for um, the future of IT uh, is lots of different uh, business processes. Uh, each each significant uh, organization would have lots of different business processes built, um, embodied in smart contracts in their own uh, corporate blockchain. Uh, they would give their employees, but also their customers and their vendors and service providers uh, identity in the system, access, basically. And it's a far more secure architecture than current IT infrastructures, which are basically soft, vulnerable assets protected by firewalls. And we've been seeing how well that works. Uh, in contrast, a transaction in a blockchain-based architecture is strongly cryptographically authenticated and granularly authorized based on a, a smart contracts, wells, and permissions module. And so that's in my opinion, probably the uh, the most secure IT infrastructure that could be built. Everything is strongly cryptographically protected. Um, so you can build a bunch of corporate business processes that way. If you do have a, a counterparty uh, that you want to do business with, but they don't really want to be uh, just an identity on your infrastructure, uh, that's appropriate for building a, a partner or a consortium blockchain system. Uh, again, it's private permissioned, but you can really start building consortia with a single use case and, and two counterparties. So I would imagine uh, the future will be um, lots and there, there will be lots of consortia. Each company will probably be part of a, a whole lot of different consortia and they'll grow bottom up. Uh, growing consortia top down is uh, generally quite, quite fun to failure. Mm -hmm. So uh, use cases will be on the uh, corporate blockchain, private uh, uh, consortia blockchains, and uh, probably every company, uh, nearly every company in the future will have some um, public blockchain use cases or some use cases that are displayed across all three kinds of uh, systems. Well, since we're talking about um, getting excited like over use cases, um let's 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 do something a little bit different here let's um of projects that are non-consensus related right like they either that you don't have an involvement in um or you don't know the individual this might be a difficult question too um but <laughs> of the individuals of like who who you 
who work in the Ethereum field, but you don't have any direct control over anything that goes over in their projects. Of those projects that are completely independent of you and any entity that you're involved with, which are you most excited about? Which am I most excited about? Not like, it doesn't have to be just the project. It can be the idea no. of the use case as well. Yeah. Um, and not like um, going to Starbucks excited, getting my favorite burger excited. I'm talking just finished Rocky Four, and Montage well, Take on the World excited. Well, they're, they're different groups doing cool work. I think uh, uh, the group that uh, we probably have the most respect for uh, is the Nexus group uh, and the Maker Project. Um Maker project is very cool. It's essentially a price stable token um, that tracks uh, uh, the SDR. Um, I hesitate to say that I'm most excited about that project. Uh, I'm I'm really just more excited about uh, the quality of work that that group does. Uh, mm -hmm. Their developer tools as well. Uh, we have a, a competing project, and I, I think I feel like we're taking a better approach to it. Uh, but um, I definitely have to uh, put them out there first. <laughs> but that, and, and, you know, I know that you're like really involved, excuse me, really involved in um, like media, media related um, crypto projects. So um, like uh, Singular, Singular um, TV, um, that's one of the projects that you're involved with, correct? Yep. Yeah. So can you... Um, can you kind of tell me just like quickly, like as far as like the media space and sort of like talking to them about like blockchain based technologies and like how um, like these sorts of systems can be valuable to like new industries that maybe weren't thinking about it prior. Mm -hmm. How does someone go about approaching an industry that might, but you might think that, oh man, like they would never use this. Like I'm working on this silly project or I have this idea as a developer for using, you know, either Ethereum based system, Bitcoin based system, Zcash, whatever to build this thing, right? Like how do I, what's, what's a methodology to approach an industry that I don't think has a need for what I'm building and, um, and, and reaching out to them to convince them that I have something they need. I would argue that uh, that nearly all industries have uh, need uh, to some degree uh, for this technology. Um, mm -hmm. So let's uh, let's just take uh, the music industry for example. I think it has a, a huge need, uh, but I think every you know banking, insurance that they're all uh, ripe for uh, certain. Uh, types of disruption that this technology will bring, but but let's take music as an example because mm -hmm. um, it can be argued that uh, uh, the the current infrastructure is so powerful and so entrenched that uh, there's no way that decentralizing technologies can have an impact in that space. So uh, we built a platform called Ujo Music. Ujo mm -hmm. uh, is an Esperanto term that means container, uh, and mm -hmm. so. Uh, it really serves as a container for registering content. We're initially targeting the music industry, but uh, also uh, we've got a couple of film projects, including Singular that you mentioned, uh, that will be registering uh, their film assets on a parallel system and also uh, licensing music from the Ujo music system. So, so the foundation of Ujo music is mm -hmm. that uh, 
uh, artists, content owners can register their content, whether it's composition or, or the actual uh, piece of work. Uh, on Ujo and IPFS, uh, we, we use IPFS in many of our architectures. Uh, and once registered, they can attach usage policies uh, to the content. So it can be uh, anyone can pick up instantly a license for public performance or synchronization rights or derivative work rights. Um, and so the foundation is this uh, new kind of um, licensing system. Uh, licenses can move in real time to the consumer and the money moves in real time to the artist and gets split in real time uh, amongst the artist collaborators. And uh, artists can sell a piece of music, they can sell stems. We did a, a little demo project with UK artist Imogen Heap in which we did exactly that. Uh, so mm -hmm. upon this foundation, this rights management foundation, uh, we are presently building a business and social network uh, so that bands can, you know, th three guys in a band can uh, set up their Uport identity and use those that thing to create a, an organizational or governance structure for their company uh, using Boardroom. They can use our Wayfund platform to crowdfund a video for uh, one of their more popular songs. They could potentially, maybe for their, their next release, they could equity crowdfund that thing and bring their fans into actual ownership of that project. So, Oh, my goodness. Well, really blurs the lines between where effectively a company um, ends and and the uh, former fans, but now actual stakeholders uh, exist. And so uh, we think we have an inroad uh, into the industry in, in uh, EDM and rap. So those mm -hmm. are niches where... Rap music. Rap music. Mm. Have you heard of it? I've, yes, I've heard of this rap music. It's I a, have. It's a new. Uh, yeah. It's this new thing. New music. Um, exactly. So, <laughs> so anyway, in those niches, uh, nobody does rights clearance, or there's not a lot of rights clearance, and it's hard to do. And there's there's so much uh, uh, derivative work creation. Mm. Uh, so uh, we have done an, an enormous number of interviews with different artists. And there is real excitement to register themselves and register their content on this platform, um, attach uh, inexpensive usage policies, and, and just start mashing things up. Uh, we feel like uh, if we can get uh, maybe 100,000 artists and consumers on the platform, uh, grow that over time, then we have a brand new channel for music, a brand new infrastructure for music that does a bit of an end run around the existing rights infrastructure. So we almost don't care about the existing um, music industry, the people who are signed. Um, basically, if we do create this new channel um, and there are a million people or more on it, then it becomes almost a no-brainer for content owners to put some of their content on this channel. And so we think we can grow it that way. And even if we don't grow it that way, um, uh, one of the people that used to be on our project did a little thought experiment. Um, and he came to the conclusion that 10 years from now, 70% uh, of the music that will be in existence at that time will have been composed and recorded between now and then. Uh, just with with the tools that are available, uh, the <laughs> proliferation of music is just so huge. And and it's uh, a lot of it's going to be in those particular styles. 
I, 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 I've got a question for you. So, so you say that you you feel like you have a good barrier for entry into um, when it comes to like EDM and rap music. Now, I'm I'm only I'm only assuming that you say that because like a like that those are some very popular genres that have like a lot of unknown artists that have like their own like you know niche base like user bases or like excuse me not user bases but niche um, listeners. Or audience. Well, I think and, you can start calling them user bases because the fans are going to start getting really active. It's almost going to be like uh, uh, the bands or, or the uh, the artists are like a piece of software that you interact with. I, well, no, that's wow. Okay, well, well, let's we'll call them that. We'll call them user bases. So, I mean, so so that's essentially what you're saying. So it's, it's like so it's like you know empowering these individuals who are going to be creative no matter what at the end of the day, but giving them a market or a place to put themselves out there and like productize themselves to a point where they can like start making money. Yeah, absolutely. These people don't sell their music for the most part. Uh, you know, they, they try to make music uh, in peripheral activities. Uh, if we do create a context in which they can sell their music very inexpensively, um, mm -hmm. Barriers to, you know, uh, basically uh, illegal downloads uh, will be less attractive in a situation in which you've basically chopped out seventy or eighty percent of the cost of music because you've uh, removed all the the middle people uh, that, mm -hmm. that went to law school, um, and um, artists will be able to charge so much less for their wares and uh, take home so much more. Frankly. That's excellent. And, and is there is there a particular reason why you know the music industry is such a um, like it, it seems like a very large interest to yours? Is there is there a reason why you wanted to like go down that avenue like first heavily? Well, we didn't go down that avenue first. We went down a handful of avenues roughly simultaneously. It was a mm -hmm. it was a pretty early project of consensus, but but certainly mm -hmm. not the first. Mm -hmm. um, I I did a, a tiny can't even really say that I worked in the music industry, but I did a, a tiny bit uh, with a friend. Um, I was living in Jamaica for a short while. You played the drums? <laughs> you played I, the bongos? I played the uh, computer keyboard. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> wait, so wait, what was the name of your band? Uh, it wasn't a band. It was uh, a friend who was an artist. I was just uh, helping a bit on her career. Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna say that you were in a band and you had like a, you know, you wore Rasta shirts and stuff. I was gonna say that's pretty awesome. <laughs> the idea of um, when you when you drop the the bomb of the idea of having equity in a musician, and um, that to me that's just uh, it blew my mind away thinking of the possibilities with that. Having like I know a lot of artists out there that make music. They're like, oh, I'm just a I'm a rapper for the people and I'm an artist for the people. But at the end of the day, they go back to their like five million dollar tour bus and they're just enjoying themselves tremendously and thinking of none of the people but i feel like if an artist were to present their music and their artistry and people actually had equity like not just an emotional investment but a financial investment in them i mean the ability for that to proliferate is just I don't know. Anyways, I'm getting excited and just talking too much. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, as I said before, I think the barriers are going to um, become much fuzzier. Well, one could imagine a company like Nike uh, selling you a pair of shoes and giving you a tiny slice of equity uh, Oof. in that sort of situation so that when you want to buy your next pair of shoes, who are you going to buy it from? You're going to buy it from yourself. 
And so mm-hmm. with, with these token systems, with these incredibly inexpensive ways of, uh, uh, and, and certainly U.S. securities law uh, is an issue at this point, but uh, mm-hmm. regulators are, are taking note of this stuff and uh, uh, there may be some changes uh, around the world in different jurisdictions about uh, uh, whether Nike could in fact uh, include a little um, token uh, with your next pair of shoes. Hmm. Hmm. That, well, is that, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, you go, you go ahead. I was gonna. Yeah, no, I was gonna ask, seat. like, cause you were talking about like Nike shoes, um, and that brought up the idea of that, um, that company that's in the Ethereum space chronicled. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, uh, are you familiar with that company at all? Are, are you, are you in the midst of that? Um, so I'm not in the midst of that. We, uh, friend of mine who I think ended up not investing, um, mm-hmm. asked us to do a, an analysis of it. So I, I think, uh, uh, the guys at uh, Pantera were looking at that project and funded that project. And, uh, we wrote up a little report. I, I do believe we suggested that they build on Ethereum and, uh, mm-hmm. guess what? They did. <laughs> that works out great. So, you know, between the Nikes and the rap music and we might have something here, I think we're getting on to something. This is good. Um, so what do you think, um, as far as like the media and, um, enterprise and like all these different industries, um, what, what, which, which do you think is going to be the one, what industry do you think is going to be the first to, or one that's going to be the most excited to, um, integrate like new technologies? Like I'm trying to think like uh, of these industries, like, is there one where do you think that they're like an early adopter of these sorts of things? Um, so, so in enterprise, uh, the early adopters were definitely uh, the financial industry, the banks, and they they did it out of fear to some degree. They did it out of necessity. Um, many banks and different jurisdictions around the world are operating with thirty and forty year old legacy systems. They uh, some of them we've heard call in eighty year old engineer teams uh, to fix their the COBOL mainframe programs. <laughs> so it, it's uh, it's an industry that's that's really ripe for a technology change. And and smart people in that industry realized that decentralization was going to affect them. Uh, they uh, they certainly have to keep their systems running for the older cohorts, um, fifty year olds, etc. But the younger cohorts, uh, 20, 30 year olds, are uh, they don't really like banks that much, and uh, they're happy to um, try out new ways of um, interfacing with uh, financial services and money, like controlling their own money. Uh, the youngest cohort, say the 12-year-olds, they're never going to have a bank account. Uh, they're going to be uh, in control of aspects of their identity in a user-centric or self-sovereign way, and they're going to control tokens, uh, directly control tokens that represent um assets or, or, or value tokens. Uh, so that industry has been looking for ways to uh, render itself more efficient. Uh, so essentially uh, settlement in, uh, in many kinds of products in the financial industry can take three days or 35 days. Uh, mm-hmm. When you put money natively on the blockchain and consensus is working on uh, three projects in, in that direction, and when you put uh, 
financial instruments like equities or bonds or derivatives on the blockchain, then you can collapse uh, the uh, clearing and settlement of those products into the instant of the transaction. And that's it's kind of one of the holy grails in that space. So that's uh, one reason why those people were interested. But uh, it's going to, it is affecting every industry and it's going to affect every level of every industry. Uh, I mentioned before that uh, these systems uh, as IT technologies are far more secure than legacy systems. Mm -hmm. uh, mentioned the shared source of truth, uh, the fact that because whether on, a, on the public or private permission context, every actor in, in those contexts can be certain that no uh, set of actors, no minority set of actors can improperly manipulate the data or the business logic on the system. And if you take those two characteristics and uh, embed them all in on the pri on the public blockchain, you embed them all in a massively uh, free open market peer-to-peer -peer network, uh, then you have a force for universal disintermediation. disintermediation. So uh, intermediation is a great thing when it reduces cost when it adds value uh, when it uh, reduces frictions in transactions but intermediaries once they impose themselves in a transaction they tend to increase the spread between how much they extract and how much value they add uh, so uh, i would argue that this massively open free market context that we can all now trust is the perfect uh, price discovery mechanism for the value of intermediation and mm -hmm. Every industry has layers and layers of intermediaries. Some of them are going to be squeezed out and some of them are, are going to be making less money. Mm, that was very well said. Thank you. So no, this, this is perfect because um, this, uh, it, sort of, it sort of seeks the need for kind of a simple analogy to sort of like tie in everything like you said before. So like, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to Bitcoin, you know, people boil it all down to, okay, we'll, we'll put it in two words, it's digital gold, right? And so then when you come to Ethereum, you hear multiple, you, you hear people say things like, well, computer, things like that, right? Like, but that doesn't really speak to you. Like you say, oh, it's just a computer, right? So what's a simple analogy for Ethereum that like you, like if, if I was to say like, it's just like if it wasn't just either in a couple of words, uh, just a few sentences, if I was to say how to give a quick comparison for someone to just quickly grok a small um, bit of like what Ethereum is or what it can do. What do you think is the easy way to do that? So I, I do think of Ethereum, uh, public Ethereum as uh, the world computer or early stages of the world computer on which uh, economic, social and political systems can be built uh, globally. Um, Bitcoin was an experiment in monetary theory that went that got wildly popular. Um, it was designed um, all about money and payments uh, and storage of value. Um, Ethereum took a different approach. Uh, we made use of the same components, the same technology. We improved them uh, because basically because of roughly seven or more years of academic research and other research that uh, suggested better mechanisms. Uh, and we set out to build a decentralized application platform. So that world computer, that infrastructure on which uh, people could run fully decentralized applications. So I think of Ethereum as uh, an early uh, representation of uh, the next generation of the World Wide Web, Web 3.0 or the decentralized web.
So Ethereum itself is a world computer, right? You know, in, in some in some cases, people might not exactly understand like what that concept means. But the token itself, Ether, what what would you say is a simple analogy for what that is? Because that's not just the entirety of the network either. Sure. Uh, Bitcoin uses that token to incentivize miners to, to process transactions and secure the network. Uh, Ethereum uses the Ether token to do the exact same thing. But because uh, you can really run sophisticated programs on Ethereum and because it's a shared resource, um, you can get into situations if you, if you don't um, require that programs or people pay tiny slices of ether for every computational step in a program and every storage operation, uh, then you'll have situations like infinite loops that are uploaded or, um, I don't know, Steve, you might upload your entire uh, video collection. Um, mm -hmm. And that that is uh, a waste of a lot of other people's resources. So the ether token um, is a fuel that powers decentralized applications. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. That's good. Nice. Okay. So decentralized application fuel. DAP fuel. <laughs> DAP fuel. DAP fuel. That's what it is. DAP oil. Fuel. Yeah. It's oil. Uh, we, we've been calling it crypto fuel. Yeah. Crypto, crypto fuel. fuel. Crypto fuel. I like that too. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I know. I want to avoid oil because oil is, is its own thing. So yeah. yeah. I've been using oil. that for a while. I'm kind of like selfish with it now. I'm like, it's oil. It's, it's uh, immaculately conceived fuel yeah. <laughs> immaculately conceived fuel exactly. immaculate <laughs> conception immaculately conceived it. in the genesis block of the ethereum network wow, wow. you've got to drop the mic on that that's you drop the mic on immaculate that's, that's all you need to know that's ethereum yeah. <laughs> it's immaculate um right. but uh but yeah no that that's that's great um is there uh is there anything that you would want to close us out with uh, Joe, like, is, is there like, um, either like a, a word of advice or like a, um, just like, you know, a Joe thought that you want to leave like the listeners with that's like, you know, to kind of close out like everything you've been talking about. Um, no, no Joe thoughts, really. We are, okay. we're, okay. we're essentially, um, gearing up to create a bit of an odyssey through our different offerings. So we created a user centric or self-sovereign identity system called Uport. We've uh, integrated it with our multifaceted, multi-tiered reputation system. We're going to uh, incentivize and enable people to make use of that as they, um, as we sort of drop uh, tokenized incentivizing breadcrumbs, uh, leading people through our uh, Gnosis prediction market platform and our virtue poker platform and our token factory and our ether loan platform and boardroom and Ujo music, etc. So I guess just uh, look out for that. We're going to start in a few months. Man, like that was the most graceful plugs I've ever heard. I love that. that was <laughs> <laughs> Turned it into a tango. It was so smooth. I love that. That was great. No, that's that's, that's excellent. And and if and what we'll do is we'll we'll include um, links to some of these um, things in the show notes as well. Um, Very cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To make sure that you know for 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 these, especially the main ones that we've discussed, so people can take a look at them and um, go back and uh, uh, maybe they want to discuss them. 
Um, but yeah, so thanks for thanks for coming on, Joe. Um, thanks for being on here for the uh, uh, for the first episode. Um, this has been this is going to be an interesting uh, experiment. We're we're excited, uh, me and Dimitri, to play around with a new medium, um, to start asking people questions and to start exploring discussions in the space in a different way. Um, so I think we did it right this this time, but we'll see. We're probably yeah. going to change it up for the next like four or five episodes, so we feel sure. like we got it right. Well, it felt pretty good. It was fun. Thanks. Okay, good. All right. good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say, Dimitri, as far as like if you really want to close? Or? Uh, not really. Just thank you guys for listening who are listening. Um, it's a brand new show, uh, sister show to TBP, but you guys listen to TBP if you're listening to this. So uh, that's it. That's all I got. All right, cool. Excellent. Well, um, thanks everyone for listening and thank you, Joe, for, um, for coming on and, uh, we'll see you next time on the next episode. Thanks guys. Oh.